Welcome to Beating Cancer Daily. Beating stage four cancer for 30 years still takes my breath away every time I say it. I'm Saren, founder of the Comedy Cures Foundation, and I hope you'll join me for just a few minutes daily for the next 365 days so we may laugh, learn, maybe cry a little as we live our best days beating cancer daily together. So today's episode is a very intimate and personal episode. If you have children around you or you're listening to this out loud without headphones, I just want to tell you that we are delving into a super sensitive topic that is something that is really important to me and also really important to the expert that I'm bringing on. Both Jackie Bryan and myself are both women who have survived cancer at a very young age. And I know that I was not prepared by any medical professional on this topic. And we feel that it's our responsibility to bring this out into the open. There's no shame about it and really try to provide some solutions. So without any further ado, I want to bring back to Beating Cancer Daily, Jackie Bryan, who is our certified nutrition specialist, RN, whole health educator, certified health coach, and just one of my dearest buddies. Jackie, welcome. Oh, Saren, thank you so much for having me and for that great introduction. And I thought the way you introduced this topic, vaginal dryness, as a very sensitive topic was was just perfect because it really does need to be talked about. And if you are a man listening to this who has a partner going through cancer treatment, please keep listening because education can come from all sides, whether you're a caregiver or you are actually the patient. And what's pretty interesting is is that this impacts all women, whether they've gone through cancer or not at some stage in their life. So I'm just really very, very proud to bring this episode forward. So Jackie, I can tell you from my own experience, I was in my 20s when I was misdiagnosed and 30s when I was diagnosed. And the only way I found out that cancer treatment can cause vaginal dryness is that I had a very painful experience and I went rushing to the doctor and I was like, what happened? I had no problem having, you know, making love before this. what's going on? And that was when they explained all the different things that could happen from cancer treatment. And I was just caught so off guard and I had to play catch up. I had to learn about how to keep my genitals healthy, even though I was going through cancer treatment. So thank you for talking to us today about this really important subject. Saren, thank you so much for sharing your story. I think it's so important for people to be able to feel comfortable talking about this issue. Um, in, in my situation, I was diagnosed with breast cancer that had spread to my lymph nodes 
when I was 37 years old and I had only been married for two and a half years to my husband. And I had learned about this vaginal dryness, vaginal atrophy, which we'll talk a little bit more about in the podcast uh, years before that, because my best friend had been diagnosed with breast cancer and she had shared that that was one of the side effects. So I was terrified that I was going to experience it. And I did experience it, but at least I understood what was actually happening. So let's let's start by talking about what vaginal dryness is. You know, it's it's a it's a painful symptom. It's something that many women experience at one point in their life. Uh, it occurs when there's a drop in in hormone levels. And this can be from life events such as breastfeeding, menopause. Uh, treatment with certain medications for illnesses like ours, you know, breast cancer or other types of cancers. Uh, Vaginal dryness is a problem for women and it's a big problem. And it's one that has really been kept quiet. And I think that's why you and I, Saren, are so passionate about trying to talk about it so that maybe we can bring some light to it so that people can can feel more comfortable sharing their concerns with their medical providers and getting some assistance. You know, I I think when we think about vaginal dryness, we might be wondering like, how common is the problem? Is that something you're curious about, Saren? Yes, and I have a girlfriend that I just helped through cancer treatment and she is so passionate. She has been writing to Washington that they have to allocate funding to get this word out because it's like when they say the silent killer, you know, this is something that young women should not have to handle alone and nobody talks about it. Well, and I think one of the reasons, like my, I loved my medical care team and, you know, they're doing everything they can to save your life. And it's, you know, focusing in on something like vaginal dryness may not seem like the priority to them. And I always bring it back to, you know, I don't want to just survive. I want to thrive. I want to be that person that has a high quality of life. But but let's just think about how common vaginal dryness is to just the general population. About 17% of women that are aged 18 to 50 report problems with vaginal dryness during sex. This is before menopause even takes place. When someone goes into menopause, about half of the people that go into menopause experience vaginal dryness. And 90% of these people do not seek treatment. Now think about this for a second. These are the numbers of the statistics that we know. So I'm guessing that we can believe that there's more people out there. They just haven't been talking about it. If we if we put the spotlight on cancer patients, and I, I think I was... For, for putting this podcast together, I, I just put a spotlight on breast cancer in general, but this is really to all cancer survivors. But the American Cancer Society estimates that more than 3 million breast cancer survivors are in, our United, in the United States today. And those women that had estrogen-dependent cancers, uh, you know, I did. Was yours estrogen-dependent as well? No, I was triple negative. You're triple negative. But for those that were estrogen dependent, those make up about three quarters of all the breast cancers. And those people typically take an anti-estrogen therapy for about five to 10 years. And that actually increases the, the issues when it comes to vaginal dryness. 
Most women are prescribed an aromatase inhibitor that is used to treat postmenopausal women. Uh, and then tamoxifen is prescribed for premenopausal and, and um, some postmenopausal women. Um, 50 to 75% of breast cancer survivors that take these medications experience symptoms like vaginal dryness or pain. And I'm only using this as a sample population. I'm not saying that this is for all cancer patients, but understanding that we're fighting so hard to have treatment that is going to save our lives, that it is going to have some impact on the way our body functions, the way we feel, but there are things that we can do about it. And that's why you and I are here today to draw attention to this really important topic. Now for, for people that may be listening that do not have cancer, please know that the recommendations that I give today are good for them too, right? It's not just for those people that have had cancer. So Let's talk about, I mean, you and I, Saren, know what vaginal dryness feels like, but somebody that is unsure may not know. So let's talk about what might you feel if you have vaginal dryness. And I'm guessing that if you have it, you probably know the symptoms, but I would like to take a little trip back to our high school biology class or sex class. So we are going to talk about your vagina. Right. So in order to understand how vaginal dryness occurs, I think it's really important for us to understand the anatomy of that very important part of our body. So your vagina, not just yours, Saren, but mine and every other woman around here is a muscular canal and it's lined with nerves and mucous membranes. When you are not sexually aroused, it is about three to four inches long. When you are aroused, it can stretch to about eight inches. The vagina actually connects the uterus and the cervix to the outside of the body, which allows menstruation, intercourse, and childbirth. You know, pause for a second and think about how absolutely amazing your body is. Think about that for a second. Childbirth. I have three children. My middle guy was nine pounds, three ounces with a 15 inch head. He's truly lucky that I still talk to him, honestly, <laughs> because getting that kid out was not easy, right? But I'm, I'm digressing a little bit. So normally your vaginal lining is lubricated with fluid that, that helps keep it thick and elastic. And vaginal dryness happens when that the tissues in your vagina are dry, thin and not moist. And that can happen from low levels of estrogen because these are the key hormones that cause your vaginal walls to become thin and dry, which makes sense why someone that goes into menopause would experience vaginal dryness or somebody that goes into a chemically induced menopause from chemotherapy would experience vaginal dryness. Some symptoms of vaginal dryness may vary depending upon the person, right? Because we are all unique. Some people may have pain with sitting or walking. They might experience painful urination or even uncomfortable intercourse. These symptoms most likely will affect their quality of their intimate life and even the connection with their partner, which can lead that person to feel alone and isolated. And if you throw cancer into the equation, this is just an incredibly intrusive symptom that we can find solutions for. Do you agree, Sarah? Yes, I am remembering back to that 
meeting with the doctor after that very painful experience as you're talking. And I remember saying to the doctor, I can deal with cancer if you tell me that at my age, I will no longer be able to have this form of intimacy, then the cancer's won. So it was really important for me to figure out how to regain my intimacy and my sexual health. And I I just feel for every single person who's listening to this, if you are going through this, we're going to do everything possible to help you because you should have the best quality of life possible. Yes. And, and be able to find the resources that you need. And we'll be talking about that. I, I was only married to my husband, Mike, for two and a half years uh, when I was diagnosed with breast cancer. And I was absolutely terrified of losing my ability to be intimate with him. And I probably talked about it more than I should uh, because it was something that was important to me. And I just remember my oncologist putting his hand up at one point being like, okay, okay, let's just talk about the chemo you're getting. Because I was so focused in on making sure I didn't get that symptom. You're lucky. You're really lucky that you were verbal because I am telling you, the doctors are uncomfortable talking about sexual health. The statistics are so interesting about how they avoid the topic. They're not educated in medical school about the topic. And you really have to generally seek outside help for it. They also have so many patients to see, and there's only so many topics they can talk about in a session. And I can understand why this isn't the highest on their priority list. So Jackie, thank you for bringing us this information. You know, I'm so happy you said that because it's not about getting angry at our medical team because you can't be great at everything, right? But finding resources is key. For example, my GYN was incredibly helpful. She gave lots of solutions and options uh, that could that could help me moving forward. But it, it's really important that people learn to advocate for themselves. You, l- let's talk about this connection between cancer and vaginal dryness. As we age, it's very common for the vagina to shorten and lose its elasticity. Uh, this is what we call vaginal wall atrophy. So vaginal dryness doesn't just occur all by itself. It's usually something structural that's or physiological that's going on inside the body. And when vaginal wall atrophy happens, it can cause vaginal dryness. And then we just throw cancer into the mix, right? We throw those treatments in there and that just makes it even more challenging. It makes it much worse um, because we know that that can have a big impact on the way uh, women are dealing with this type of symptom, you know, especially if someone is on a, has a hormone driven cancer, like we talked about earlier, and they put them on an endocrine treatment, uh, such as tamoxifen or an aromatase inhibitor, that just ramps up the uh, the vaginal dryness. And actually, I nicknamed it turbo menopause. So it wasn't just menopause, it was turbo menopause. Uh, because I, I felt like that's really what we should call it. And I'm 37 years old with with two kids and trying to manage all of these things. And it was just an awful lot to to 
to add into the mix. Other situations that can lead to vaginal wall atrophy include surgically induced menopause when someone has had like an oophorectomy, had their ovaries taken out, uh, chemical menopause from things like Lucron shots, which block your estrogen, and even certain radiation therapies and chemotherapies like we were talking about earlier. Many patients like myself were kicked into menopause during treatment. In my case, and in, in some cases of the, the women that I know, they actually came out of menopause when the chemotherapy stopped. And that's not where the oncologist wanted us to be. And so they find a way to put you back into menopause. Um, my my oncologist told me that I had ovaries of steel, which was why they which was why they started working again. Um, so managing cancer and menopause was not fun. I mean, it's not fun for anybody, uh, especially, you know, people that are getting older and in their fifties managing menopause. But when you're trying to deal with a life-threatening illness and these symptoms, it can be a real challenge to find your new normal. So let's talk about some of the risks that might be associated with vaginal atrophy. Um, we can call it a weakened pelvic floor uh, and that can lead to symptoms like vaginal dryness. But some of the things that we might experience are decreased vaginal lubrication, painful intercourse, vaginal burning, vaginal discharge, genital itching, irritation or friction with activity that could lead to light bleeding um, during the activity or even after intercourse. That vaginal wall atrophy that we were talking about, that again is that, that shortening and tightening of that vaginal canal that thins out, it starts thinning out, it leaves a woman susceptible to recurrent urinary tract infections. And that's due to the, the loss of vaginal fluids. Those vaginal fluids often push out bacteria that pool down there, right? And then structurally, our anatomy gets a little bit looser down there. And so it makes us much more prone to urinary tract infections and you would experience urinary frequency, burning, urgency, and even some incontinence. In some cases, people can pass gas unintentionally. I mean, these are all symptoms associated with this vaginal atrophy or that weakened pelvic floor. What are the treatments? I mean, I, I feel like, you know, that's really what we care about, right? So this understanding our vagina is important, but what can I do about it, right? That's the big question. What what can we do to, to support people that are dealing with this? Um, it really depends on what caused it, right? That's that's the big thing. And I it's sort of root cause resolution. That's what we functional medicine practitioners work on. We, we try to understand what's, where did it start, right? And so once we understand what causes the vaginal dryness, we could try strategies to fix it. Now, if it is a cancer treatment that is causing it, it's not something that we go off of to manage the vaginal dryness. There are natural strategies that you can use to help lubricate the vagina or the vaginal canal. So you could try natural oils like grapeseed, olive, or even coconut oils. Keep in mind that natural oils should be used as an external lubricant before intercourse, and that these oil-based lubricants can damage condoms. So keep that in mind. So if you are of childbearing age or you're in chemotherapy and you want to protect your partner, you want to make sure that you do not use any of these oil-based lubricants because they can damage condoms, and that's really important. Jackie, just about the oils, 
Do you want organic oils? Do you want cold pressed oils? I know that there's some difference to the oil quality. That's a really good question. So I, again, what you're ingesting in your body, what you're putting on your body and what you're putting in your body all matter, right? So I encourage people to be very informed consumers and really try to figure out what the best options are for them and organic if possible, no parabens and phthalates are are really recommended because those are chemicals and they're actually endocrine disruptors and they can lead to other changes and issues in the body. And so one thing that can help is a resource like the Environmental Working Group. They have consumer guides on their website and they can tell you what are some of the safe lubricants that you can use. Um, obviously, if you've got a good extra virgin olive oil that you want to use, that's that's fine. But there are other types of products that we're going to talk about uh, as we get a little further into the podcast one thing in addition to this lubrication is is regular sexual stimulation can encourage your vaginal tissues to become moist. And so it kind of goes back to that. If you don't use it, you lose it. Um, you know, the, the vaginal wall is a muscle, right? And, and it needs to be worked just like other muscles in your body. And so it's an important part. And it's one that we don't always talk about. Jackie, I have to tell you, there were a group of us talking and some of the single women in the group were saying that because of the pandemic, they were not sexually active and they were experiencing the things that we're talking about today in terms of vaginal dryness and vaginal collapse. They were very concerned about the sensations that they were experiencing And I started to shed light that this could be possibly what this is and they should, you know, see their doctor. And they were floored that this could happen. They had no awareness that the use it or lose it idea was possible in terms of their sexual health. I think that's a great point. It's something that needs to be explained to women. I mean, I'm 58 years old and you know, it wasn't a normal conversation that we had, you know, growing up, it wasn't a conversation that I had, you know, when I moved into menopause in my thirties due to cancer treatment. And it is, it's, it's an important piece. Those were discoveries that I needed to make on my own. And there are some wonderful resources that we'll talk about uh, as we move through, but but using your medical team, there are some excellent uh, physical therapists that focus on pelvic floor rehabilitation, and they often have links to different types of websites that are safe places to go for products that you can purchase that can help. And we'll, we'll talk a little bit more about those, but I'm so thankful that your friends have you, Saren, to talk about these types of concerns because it's lonely if you have no one to talk to about it and it's scary. And we're, we're kind of ripping away the curtain right now. And we're trying to help people understand it's okay to talk about it. And you can talk about it with your provider. And if you don't have a good relationship where you can talk to your provider about it, it's important to find someone you can talk to about it. Somebody that that has the information that you need. Other things that can help um, when it comes to vaginal dryness are longer periods of foreplay before intercourse. And Saren, how much fun this would be. I'm all for it, Jackie. With getting too personal, right? 
Uh, vaginal moisture is tied to arousal. Sometimes it takes us a little bit longer to get going, right? As I get a little bit older, but you know, longer periods of foreplay are not out of the question. They can certainly help with some of that lubrication. And then you can add in some extra lubrication and, and hopefully that would be a, a very pleasing experience for you. But it's nice to look for ways that you and your partner can increase your pleasure before intercourse, you know, during intercourse and even after. And, and, it is a if if you are in a committed you know in a relationship with somebody that you feel comfortable talking with them about this is a really important conversation you should have with them and let them be a part of this experience with you. Jackie, I can't even tell you how many cancer patients stop having intercourse and intimacy the minute they're diagnosed. They don't think that they can they think that this all has to stop. So just the fact that we're talking about the fact that you can have pleasure is a whole conversation opener in itself. People literally stop all intimacy. And it's almost as if they're waiting for someone to say, okay, you have permission. You can go back to doing this again. They're afraid. Oh, that's a really good point. I'm actually really glad you mentioned this because there's a couple reasons why people may be afraid to have intercourse while they're in treatment. The first is they don't want to expose their partner to any of the chemotherapeutic agents that they're getting. And that is important. I remember when I was going through chemotherapy, I received adromycin, cytoxin, and taxol. And one of the things they said, especially on adromycin, that you know you don't want to have intercourse for the first few days. And honestly, I was so nauseous. That was not the first thing on my mind was to make love to my husband. However, that's a really important thing. And then there's the whole piece about communication, right? Is being able to talk to your partner, you know, and, and helping them understand that it's okay. You're, you can be intimate with me, right? You can. And that's a really important part of, of your relationship is being able to communicate with them what your needs are, what your desire. Because as you said, when people stop having intimate relations with each other, intercourse or, or other things, um, it can affect the stability of that vaginal wall. And that's what we want to preserve. We really want to take care of that vaginal wall. Now, what do I do if I'm somebody that's not in a relationship with somebody and I am wanting to preserve the ability to have intercourse at some point in my life? So just so that you know, if you are in a relationship and you don't want to have intimacy, that's okay too. We're not trying to force you to become intimate while you're on cancer treatment if it's something that you completely don't want to do. What we're trying to do is just give you options so that you can keep the vaginal wall stable and hopefully continue to lubricate. And if not, how you can bounce back, hopefully, if you're deciding not to be intimate. I just don't want anybody to feel pressured to be having intimacy if they're nauseated, as Jackie said she was, or it's just not something that they're ready to do because of body changes. This is so personal, and that's what we're trying to communicate here. Everybody is in their own universe about this, and there are so many elements that have to be considered. 
And you might feel like you want to talk to a therapist or a social worker to work through other issues that have nothing to do with the vaginal part of your recovery. So we just want to make sure that you're hearing this in the spirit that that we're discussing it. That's a really good point. And I'm so glad that you said it because it's so true that this is the, the purpose of this podcast is to answer questions, you know, and, and to answer the questions that you may have in your head that maybe you hadn't asked anybody or even your partner might be curious about, and maybe you haven't discussed it with them. This is just a place where you can hear information. Again, everybody's situation is unique. Everyone's situation is different. I will mention that many of the hospitals that are servicing patients for their cancer treatment also have physical therapy departments and there are pelvic floor physical therapists that are specialists and they are a wealth of information. It's something that I think is so important to get dialed in with them, whether you want to be intimate or not. um, It's something that can be really helpful when it comes to understanding what's going on with your body and keeping those uh, muscles, that vaginal canal and everything healthy. And that's what we, that's what we really want to do. There are some over-the-counter treatments that you can use to provide relief for vaginal dryness. You could do non-hormonal moisturizers and lubricants, and they can give you some relief. Uh, This is where I bring you back to that same thing we talked about earlier about being a very avid label reader. Be sure that none of the products have any of those chemicals that we were talking about, parabens and phthalates. And again, that environmental working group is an excellent resource, uh, not only for the moisturizers, uh, the non-hormonal ones, but um, you know the over-the-counter ones that you're getting at the, the pharmacy. And, and these are um, vaginal moisturizers that can be applied several times a day. It's just like applying cream to your outer skin right? You're applying cream to your inner skin. Uh, The lubricants are usually non-prescription products that improve discomfort from intercourse by reducing the amount of friction that people feel. You know, I encourage people look at the organic water-based or even the silicone-based, the hypoallergenic uh, lubricants that are really much less likely to cause vaginal irritation um, and, and more so than the ones that contain oil. Um, And then the products that have Vaseline in them, I would try to avoid those. We don't necessarily need petroleum inside of us. So avoiding the Vaseline products is helpful. Again, allowing that time for arousal, that's really the natural lubrication that's created from sexual arousal can help with those symptoms. Um, So don't rush it, right? Sit back and enjoy the experience with your partner, have a nice dinner, relax, take some deep breaths, set a nice atmosphere for yourself. You can use a vaginal DHEA, which are these inserts or suppositories. Now, please, this is something you really do need to talk to your cancer specialist about if you're weighing the pros and cons of the different types of hormonal therapy. This one in particular is an estrogen therapy that I just mentioned. It is not appropriate for everybody. It was not something when I was about five years out that the doctors recommended for me, but when I was 10 years out, they said that would be fine to do if I felt like I wanted to do it. The other piece that's really popular are using devices that can help dilate the vagina because again, it gets short and it gets fragile inside, but you can use vaginal 
dilators, they're non-hormonal options. It helps stretch the vaginal muscles. It's much like going to the gym and lifting weights, right? To preserve your muscle mass. That's just what you're doing inside. And it really helps reverse that narrowing of the vagina because that's one of that atrophy, that narrowing is the thing that leads to the vaginal dryness. And so this is where you can get a great recommendation from your physical therapist, that pelvic floor specialist that they feel might be the right fit for you because they're they're really in the know for what might be the best product for your body. And then there are those vaginal estrogens that you could try. Again, it really depends on the type of cancer that you've had. And, you know, that's something that you really want to be mindful of, especially if you have a hormone-driven cancer. Usually systemic estrogen therapy, that's, you know, taking a pill um, is not necessarily recommended for uh, treating vaginal dryness. Uh, it's, it's not something that I see done a whole lot, uh, especially in the cancer community. But, you know, it is something that you can chat with your doctor about. Um, but but trying those other options first might be the best way to go. And since I am a functional nutritionist, I do want to talk to people a little bit about nutrition treatment. Are you interested in that, Saren? Yes. And I'm thinking that if I'm not being hydrated in all parts of my body, that I want to focus on how much water or liquid I'm getting a day. That's an excellent example. Yes, hydration is key. And, you know, hydration is key in so many parts of, of keeping our bodies healthy. Everything works better in, in when we're getting enough hydration. Uh, and we'll be doing a health builder series just on hydration, I think, coming up soon, Saren. Uh, so it's a really interesting topic. But there are some nutritional options that can help some with vaginal dryness and maybe some other things in your body. Soy is a food product that is rich in phytoestrogens. And phytoestrogens are plants that have an estrogenetic effect in your body. You want to check with your doctor to make sure that that soy or any of the phytoestrogen food recommendations are a good fit for you, especially if you've had a hormone-driven cancer. Um, but soy is also rich in isoflavins, uh, protein, omega-3s. Flaxseed is another food that is rich in phytoestrogens. It's got a lot of omega-3 fatty acids, which are an excellent lubricant for the skin internally. It can help increase estrogen levels to help with some of the dryness, and it also helps with cholesterol, right? So you're, you're checking off two boxes there. Nuts, one of my favorite go-to snacks, are high in essential fatty acids and nutrients. And there's some studies that suggest that those fatty acids from nuts can actually help with lubrication. Fish, especially those fatty fishes like salmon and mackerel, sardines are a good source of omega-3 fatty acids. And again, have the same effect on lubricating you know, certain parts of your body that need it. Apples are phytoestrogen foods that can be really beneficial Whole grains have fiber and fiber is really important when it comes to not only balancing our blood sugar, but also our hormones. And if you get a chance to listen to our fiber talk, that would be something that you can learn more about. But again, fiber is really helpful. And that's why whole grains check the box when it comes to fiber. And then aloe vera. I mean, so many of us think about aloe vera after we get a sunburn, but the aloe vera gel from the leaves applied can actually soothe tissue. Um, and that's something that some people have tried. Again, be an informed consumer so you know exactly what's in your products. 
And I, I'd love to just leave you with some final thoughts about this, this topic. Again, you want to open up the communication. You want to be able to talk with not only your partner, um, but also your medical community. Keep in mind that if you don't use it, you might lose it. <laughs> so um, whether you have a partner or not, finding ways to um, support that very important part of your body is, is critical. Um, enlist the health of your pelvic floor specialist that's at your local medical community. And there's some really good resources that are online as well. I'd be cautious about Googling this topic because it is such a sensitive topic and there is, you know, a lot of information and misinformation that you could get. That's why it's really important for you to connect with somebody that you respect and is a credible resource. You know, if this is a symptom that's interfering with your activities of daily living, your, your sex life, your relationship, if it's not working, if you're having any bleeding, you really need to consult your medical provider. I mean, Sarah and I are doing this podcast for a reason. It is a concern. It's something that we have both lived with and dealt with is a really important part of self-care. So you're going to eat right, you're going to exercise, you're going to manage your stress, and we want to take care of our girly parts, right? That's a really important part. I think also sleep is a big factor in all health, but in vaginal health. And I did want to say that you could have other issues going on there besides just what we're calling vaginal dryness or vaginal atrophy. So if you are experiencing discomfort, I wouldn't just write it off to this. I would really make sure that you get it checked out. There are issues that can happen in that area, like tumors and other lacerations, so that you want to really make sure that what you are dealing with and get help from a professional the other thing I wanted to clarify, Jackie, is when you're saying dilators, would the average person think of that as a vibrator or as a dildo, or is there a whole nother level to that discussion? There are actually vaginal dilators. So, you know, the, the vibrators are ones that you would, you know, insert into the vagina and it has a little apparatus that can stimulate the clitoris so that you can have an orgasm. The dildo is just a, just a device that you put into the vagina that can expand the wall, but the vaginal dilators are actually ones that are sized, right? You start small and you can advance slowly by inserting them. And that's pelvic floor specialists would absolutely help the person do that. That's really important because I think people get very intimidated by the images of what they sell online or what you see in some late night ads. And this is really from a medical point of view. And I know just from the research study we did together, Jackie, through Comedy Cures, that this was something very special that you helped uh, study participants with. And I was unaware of the fact that there were these dilators that could actually help reintroduce the elasticity and movement into that area. It's, it's such a good point that you're bringing up in terms of, you know, is this a dirty, nasty thing you see on the internet, or is this medical? This is what you and I are talking about is medical. It is, it is about improving quality of life and improving your health. 
um, because there's so much that's connected to that. One of the things that you just mentioned was sleep, which I think is really important. If we, we talked a little bit about the nutritional piece, but you know, sleep is critical because when we don't get enough sleep, that's a perceived stressor on the body and everything kind of shuts down when it comes to stress. So sleeping, managing stress, um, that hydration uh, piece that you talked about, and then even performing certain exercises on your core, right? So things like planks and squats and sit-ups and lunges, these actually engage that pelvic floor and, you know, things like Kegel exercises. I mean, so many of us have heard of Kegel exercises if you've, you've given birth or maybe you've had uh, leakage of urine in some situations. They talk a little bit about trying Kegels and some people feel like, oh, it's just too hard, right? I don't, I don't want to do Kegels. You know, it's just strange. I mean, you can do Kegels pretty much anywhere in the car, sitting at your desk. Can you explain what that exercise is? Because some people may have heard the word and don't know what you're talking about. Well, I'm going to, I'm so glad you asked because I was going to actually give an example of how you can do Kegels very easily a couple times a day. And, and it really helps. So some people do Kegels incorrectly. They just bear down and, and that's not the best way to do it. One of the best ways to perform Kegels exercises, again, that's strengthening your core and it's strengthening or engaging your pelvic floor muscles is when you're peeing, you can actually do this while you're urinating. So here's how you do it. You ready, Saren? Yep. So you start to pee and then you stop and hold the urine for 10 seconds. Then you start to pee again. The muscles that you use to hold your urine are the pelvic floor muscles. The goal is to do about 50 Kegels, holding them for 10 seconds each day. And so that's a goal for someone that's really dealing with urine leakage and things like that. And so I do this and it's it's very simple. It's just you start peeing, hold it for 10 seconds, and then pee again. Very easy to do. Just make it part of your routine. And just by that sheer act of holding the urine, you're engaging those pelvic floor muscles that you need in order to keep that area a little bit bit stronger. This might be too much information, but I do them at traffic lights, not peeing and then holding. (laughs) I just do them at traffic lights because then I figure I'm going to get them in every day. If I just do them at traffic light. Yes, it, there's different ways that you can do them. I like doing the the urine uh, 10 second hold because that's like really, you've got the right muscles there. You're absolutely using them. And I think, you know, this is just one tip, but if I could just share with you that you deserve to thrive. If you're someone that's living with cancer, it's not just about surviving. It's about thriving. It's about finding the best version of yourself. And cancer robs you, right? Cancer steals things from your life. Don't don't let it steal this from you. Find solutions for yourself. I mean, Saren, you're a fabulous resource for connecting people. I'm so honored to be a part of this podcast in particular, because this is such an important topic for people to be discussing. So thank you for having me. You know, I love you. I have seen studies that show that when you experience pleasure, that you could be releasing cells that actually are very helpful in fighting cancer. So if this is a part of your life that helps you experience pleasure, then 
why wouldn't you do it just for that part of your life to experience pleasure, reduce your stress, but also if it potentially could help you fight cancer, what a great way to help yourself fight cancer. Or am I just making an excuse for having pleasure, Jackie? I love the idea of weaving joy into our life in whatever form that looks like for you. Uh, in some people, it may be the, the the comedy that you bring into your life. It could be uh, making love to somebody. It could be running, jogging, exercising. Any of those things that bring joy or make you happy are really important to flood your body with those chemicals. Those chemicals that you're talking about really do help with balancing not only your, your hormones, um, but also keeping you safe right? And keeping you protected from diseases like cancer. So I agree with you. I think experiencing joy is so important and understanding the research that goes along with it. I'm glad you shared that. It's really interesting. I just want to say that we really felt very passionate about having this discussion today and that we hope that it is just the beginning for you in your exploration and in your health journey. And Jackie, I couldn't think of a better person to have this discussion with. You're just so sensitive and so thorough. So if you would like to talk to us a little bit more about this topic, go to comedycures.org, hit the record button. Let us know how you're doing in this part of your life. And if you feel that you need any more resources, I also want to say you can hit the write us button in the contact menu and let us know how this is going for you. Jackie and I are so passionate and also my friend Robin, who was just urging me to do this edition of the podcast. We hope that this is just the beginning of a conversation and we hope that we can shed more light on this in the medical world and in the wellness world so that women feel very, very supported in this part of their journey. So Jackie, thank you so much for doing this. Thank you so much for having me. I I think it's all about empowering women and giving them a voice about something that's been kept quiet for too long. And I'm happy that we can be a part of this movement, Sarah, and thank you. Have a blessed day and I'll see you tomorrow. If you loved today's episode, then tell the world. Why? Because Beating Cancer Daily and our membership circle are both a listener and donor-supported experience. So the more people you tell and the more people that join us, the more robust and interesting programs our nonprofit, the Comedy Cures Foundation, can bring to you throughout the year. I really want you to go to ComedyCures.org. And of course, I always want you to make a donation. It's tax deductible to the extent allowed by law. But what's super exciting is not only can you laugh and explore the comedy there, you can look at our membership levels and find the one that's great for you. And if you're feeling a little bit generous, gift one to a chemo brother or sister or to a caregiver that you just want to help them improve the quality of their day. Thanks so much. See you tomorrow. Guess what time it is. It's time for me to read the disclaimer. 
Beating Cancer Daily and the Membership Circle are not in lieu of medical advice or treatment. They are for entertainment purposes only. Please consult your healthcare team to review your best strategy. Thanks for listening.